Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome back to a new episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. And today we have a uh, well, a special treat for you. It's basically a blast from the past. Almost a year ago, we started this podcast in our very first episode. The very first news feature we ever talked about on this podcast was about the upcoming release of Zack Snyder's Justice League. And now it has arrived. And in this episode for the Byword Big Talk, we are going to review all four hours and three minutes of Zack Snyder's Justice League. I hope it doesn't actually take us four hours to review the movie. But first, let's go ahead and talk about some nerd news. Chris, what are you bringing to us this week? So I I thought this was really prescient given the topic of our episode, but it happened actually the morning of the the Snyder Cut's release. But uh, Zack Snyder has publicly distanced himself from one of his biggest uh, group of supporters. Um, On a recent Geeks and Gamers, written as Geeks Plus Gamers charity live stream celebrating the release of the Snyder Cut, Snyder made the following statement, and I quote, I know that on our donation page, we still have the Geeks and Gamers logo. I just want to say that I really talk about this. We are not really affiliated with Geeks and Gamers as far as I am concerned. I really just want to make that clear. I also want to just say that in light of recent events, if Justice League teaches us anything, it's about coming together and there's no room for hate. I just think it's an important message. As a father of Asian Asian children, it really hits close to home. For me, I just want to put it out there. There's no room for hate, and that's just what it's about, end quote. For context, the recent events are a drastic increase in violence against the Asian American community that many are attributing to the rhetoric of former President Trump and his supporters. This culminated in a mass shooting in Georgia that resulted in the murders of eight women. For those of you like myself who were unfamiliar with the Geeks and Gamers platform, it is an online platform, most notably a YouTube channel that is owned by Jeremy Griggs. The content of said channel features uh, a common string of themes, warnings against virtue signaling, social justice warriors, and quote-unquote woke topics in Hollywood. One might think of it as the YouTube equivalent of Comicsgate. Um, For a sample, here are some of the featured videos on the channel. Lucasfilm keeps disrespecting Gina Carano and Star Wars fans, and High Republic host doesn't like white people. This is Kathleen Kennedy's Lucasfilm, and canceled for wrong opinions, game journalists hate video games. The host of the actual charity live stream that was referenced uh, Uche uh, Nuaneri tweeted about the situation, saying that he appreciated the opportunity to work directly with Snyder and also insinuated that Snyder's public distancing from geeks and gamers was forced upon him by the film studio. Other corners of the right wing Internet saw this as utter betrayal from Snyder, including actual peace. And this is where I leave my complete objectivity aside. And this is my personal opinion. Actual piece of flaming garbage disguised in human flesh, Ethan Van Shiver, who made comments that I refuse to repeat on this show, and that should warrant an investigation for potential hate crimes by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Whether or not whether or not Snyder caved, quote unquote, to pressure from Warner Brothers or his sentiments were genuine, I'd like to believe the latter. It is my opinion that this is an important first step for him. And after seeing this happen before watching the Snyder Cut, it made my viewing experience much more enjoyable. Dave, I know that we've spoken previously about your inexperience with social media. Uh, I felt bad when you asked me genuinely what Comicsgate was, and I had to explain to you this awful, awful thing. Um, How is this hitting you? 
Yeah, I'm completely unfamiliar with geeks and gamers as well, uh, despite the fact that I actually watch quite a bit of YouTube. Uh, a brief glance over some of their video titles, however, explains pretty much why they've not come up in my recommended videos on YouTube. Now, my my um, what I consume on YouTube is primarily, you know, video game and uh, geeky content. So I was surprised that there's this group uh, creating videos out there that's never even popped up in my recommendations. But, you know, they seem simply out of alignment with my tastes. Uh, there's a certain degree of sensationalism to their images and video titles. You know, they throw around terms like SJW. They post images of director Patty Jenkins with glowing red eyes. And they call Captain Marvel actress Brie Larson the most unlikable person on Earth, which, uh, yeah, I struggle with that particular assertion considering uh, all the very, very unfortunate individuals walking the face of the Earth right now. In short, they seem to fall into a category of individuals who are trying to profit off of a perceived culture war, using strategies that are basically those of conservative news media outlets transplanted into the nerd community. And if that's the strategy they want to employ, you know, good for them, I guess. You know, by all accounts, Zack Snyder, although I often disagree with uh, his approach to nerdy content and the superheroes, by all accounts, he's a really nice stand-up kind of guy. And I don't really, um, I, I don't really agree with his take on superheroes. But as a nice guy who seems to be a, just a genuine person, if he wants to distance himself from a particular group, he, if he doesn't want to be associated with this culture war approach to nerd them, then good for him. I know I certainly wouldn't want to. I think that's a, a very toxic approach to the nerd community, and we've talked about this in the past. But to me growing up in a time period before being, you know, a nerd, being a comic book fan and a gamer was quote unquote cool. This was an always a very inclusive group. Um even though, you know, we would sometimes disagree with stuff like who would, you know, win a fight, Lobo or Wolverine, we by all accounts were not a group that was looking to exclude anybody. We we found, you know, solace and friendship in, in our shared hobby. And so this approach of, of dividing the nerd community with this culture war approach, I don't, I don't particularly agree with that or enjoy that for sure. It seems to go against what the nerd community has been, at least in my past and what it meant to me growing up. So, you know, good, good for snacks, Zack Snyder. I, I totally, uh, you know, I'm happy for him that he did this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and unfortunately, it, it looks like the nerd and geek community uh, is not immune to to the larger swaths of uh, of hate speech and just bile that that is so present in you know greater society. Like it's it's not immune to that. So, um, but I am I was very very happy to see this Wednesday morning on my Twitter feed before I I, I uh, hit the play button and it, and it made as I said made my, my viewing experience. Um, much, much more enjoyable. Well, so here, 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 here's the thing about that. You know, um, Joss Whedon, and we've talked about him and, and sort of the reckoning of his uh, behavior on sets, uh, Buffy, Angel, Justice League. Uh, we've talked about that quite a bit uh, on this show. And Joss Whedon is a guy whose approach to nerdy media I've always appreciated. But it turns out that, you know, based on all the things we're hearing, he's, he's a pretty horrific human being. Um, Zack Snyder, somebody whose artistic approach I don't agree with, but by all accounts, from what we're hearing about his behavior backstage and how he treats people and actors and 
stagehands and all that stuff, he's apparently just a really nice stand-up guy. And if I have to choose between the two, if I have to choose somebody who I uh, artistically, you know, agree with, but who's a, a, a horrible human being, or somebody who I artistically don't agree with, but who's a really stand-up guy, I'm going to prefer the stand-up guy ultimately. So, you know, this, this is kudos to Zack Snyder. Absolutely. And and because you can, you can, you can sleep at night without having to, to like your conscience is clear. Like I would, I would much rather have, have a common understanding of what morals and values we hold dear and then go from there. And and whether we disagree on, on, you know, like we talked about, you know, being nerds growing up, if we disagreed with Superman or the Hulk winning a fight, like, that's neither here nor there but when when it when it divulges into targeted hate towards groups of people and and like in the real world you know like that's when we really have to 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 make our stances clear uh dave you are headed in a completely new direction for me you made me watch a trailer that i'm super excited about yeah yeah this is great news so confession time I love the video game franchise Life is Strange. The first installment was one of my favorite narrative games, period. And although it was developed by Don't Not Entertainment, it got me interested in the notion of narrative games again. And that led me to Telltale, Telltale Games and their fantastic uh, games uh, about Batman, about The Walking Dead. Um, and so I really love this narrative gaming approach. The prequel to Life is Strange, was called Life is Strange Before the Storm, and was developed by Deck Nine. Uh, and this was just as good, if not better, than the first installment. Now, Don't Not's follow-up, Life is Strange 2, wasn't quite up my alley as much, but I'm excited to see that the next installment of the series is returning back to developer Deck Nine, who did, did such a fantastic job with Before the Storm. And this time, they get a chance to tell uh, not a prequel or a sequel, but an original story, Life is Strange, True Colors. Uh, life is Strange, True Colors follows protagonist Alex Chen as she adjusts to a new life in a small town called Haven Springs with her brother Gabe after they were separated for eight years. But just as the siblings are getting reacquainted, tragedy strikes, and it's up to Alex to unravel the mystery of Gabe's death with her own unique supernatural powers. You know, the thing I appreciate about the Life is Strange franchise, even more than the Telltale games, is that there's just so much personality in each game. Every little detail, including even the interface, brims with the personality of the protagonist. The games also don't shy away from trying to tell complex stories with deep emotional content. Uh, sometimes it works fantastically, sometimes it misses the mark a little bit, but I really appreciate the attempt of doing something different with video game storytelling. The touch of the supernatural and the effects of your choices on the narrative, that's just icing on the cake. On top of that, this will be the first game in the series that will not be released episodically. So the whole game will, whole game will be released at launch, no episodes two or three months later, this is super exciting, Chris. Yeah, I love I love um, the Telltale Batman games. Like the fact that you decide that. Um, I know my my kids are super huge on uh, a Minecraft version of that. I forget the name of it. Uh, Minecraft Story Mode, maybe something like that. Something Minecrafty. I don't know. I, I I can't get into Minecraft. They've tried to convert me many a time. They feel like uh, like uh, evangelist missionaries of Minecraft, and I I just can't get into it. But I I love the whole idea of like you choose the story. I love that 
aspect that has popped up in like Assassin's Creed, like your decisions mean something. Like uh, I think it was in like Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Like there was this like mini plague that got into this small town in Greece and like the priest wanted to kill them and just wipe out the disease. And I was like, no, 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 that's unjust. You can't do that. And then I came back later in the game and like the plague had taken out my whole town because I decided not to act. And I was like, whoops. <laughs> but like just like the fact that, that that what you do matters and it's not this preconceived thing that is, you know, already pre-coded and, and you have some kind of agency in your game. It's super cool. The trailer and the graphics look amazing on this game. And I, I can't wait to check it out. Yeah, it's uh, it's really exciting. They also announced that they're going to go ahead and remaster the uh, the first Life is Strange and its prequel before the storm and release it as a, a single package, which I'm actually really excited about as well. I think it would be fun to replay those games. The stories were really good, uh, very emotional, very affecting, and giving it a little graphical uh, overhaul uh, would would be awesome. So I'm I'm totally there for that as well. All right, ladies and gentle nerds, that wraps up Nerd News. After this short break, we'll be back with the main event, the thing you've been waiting to hear, our opinion on Zack Snyder's Justice League. Stick around. Ladies and gentle nerds, we're back, and this is the main event. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Zack Snyder's Justice League, the four-hour, three-minute epic, has finally been released to HBO Max. Chris and I watched it, and we have our analysis handy. We are going to sit down and enjoy a long discussion, hopefully not four hours, though, about Zack Snyder's Justice League. What did we like? What didn't we like? We're going to start each with three big points that we liked, then we're going to each discuss three big points we didn't like. Finally, we'll wrap up our review with a lightning round of smaller thoughts that we find worth discussing. And we'll start off with Chris. What is your first like for Zack Snyder's Justice League? Martian Manhunter, my favorite member of the Justice League, is in this movie. And and Harry Lennox does not awesome awesome job portraying albeit he has maybe two minutes of scream time um but what he does with it and the whole visual the whole um uh, full spoilers by the way we are going full spoilers if you have not watched J uh zach snyder's justice league please be prepared we are going full spoilers the fact that um you have this this scene with uh, Lois and who you assume to be Martha Kent and then leaves the room and it turns out to be Martian Manhunter. There's just something about shape-shifting characters. It, it, it's so awesome to me. Mystique is one of my favorite uh, characters in the X-Men universe. Not the film franchise. That's a different story. That That's all garbage. But like just that ability to just assume any person is just so fascinating to me. It's so cool. And like all the mythos surrounding martian manhunter is so cool to me like i i got so nostalgic and i i threw on uh the old animated justice league and, and justice league unlimited today because I, I i was needing some more martian manhunter and i think i think harry lennox does a fantastic job in the in the very very small uh sample size and i am 
campaigning for if not a film i think even better would be like an hbo max series we kind of touched on this previously a martian manhunter series on hbo max i think would be amazing and i need that like now yeah i got a pitch for that man i mean we've talked about this before but i think i have the perfect approach to a martian manhunter story but yeah martian manhunter man is a is a character i've loved for a very long time he played a prominent role in uh, grant morrison's jla um, obviously uh, fantastic in the uh, Justice League animated series and Justice League Unlimited. I was extremely enthusiastic to hear that Martian Manhunter would show up in this. I wish there would have been more of him, frankly. What little we saw of him was pretty darn spot on with his portrayal in the comics in the DC animated universe. It was just good. Now, I will say that I wish the scene that you refer to in which he impersonated Martha, that it had actually been Martha. I think that would have been a really sweet scene between Martha and Lois. When it was revealed that it was actually Martian Manhunter, the scene scene kind of became creepy in retrospect. You know, there's going to be this awkward moment where Lois walks up to Martha and says, I want to thank you for this conversation we had. And she's like, uh, what conversation? Um, so yeah, that it came across a little bit as odd. Um, but seeing Martian Manhunter, the big screen was sweet. Um, well, the big screen being, you know, my, my 65 inch TV, obviously. Uh, can we maybe start using prosthetics and makeup instead of full CGI, though, for characters like this? I mean, the shape-shifting obviously needs to be CGI. But Martian Manhunter, I think, is a character that with a little bit of body paint and some prosthetics could work extremely well. Supergirl did the same thing, going full CGI. It always seems just a little bit devoid of life. It would be really nice to have seen uh, Harry Lennox in, in like a full Martian Manhunter makeup. I think it would have given it just that little extra. But other than that, man, yeah, I was excited to see this character. It's a fantastic character. All right. Yeah, I totally agree. I I am a huge fan of like practical effects. We talked about this like on our third ever episode. I like what they do like with Gamora and the MCU. And I don't want to make this like MCU versus DCEU, but I think like a step in that direction would be especially if you're going to have him featured it's one thing to have him like two minutes of screen time but like if you're going to make him a featured character of 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 a solo flick or fingers crossed even better at hbo max series then i i think practical effects would be a step in the right direction uh dave what is your first like for Zack snyder's justice league well, the big thing when I watched uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League is that I didn't want to spend the whole time comparing it to the theatrical cut. Uh, but I think you're, you're going to naturally make some comparisons because they're essentially the same movie. Uh, so he, here's my first like. I think Steppenwolf was vastly superior in Zack Snyder's version. You know, I'm not 100% a fan of either design, theatrical or Snyder cut, because I'm a pretty big Jack Kirby fan and I love jack kirby's designs for the fourth world characters across the board they're very um flamboyant and 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 colorful and and they kind of stick out in your mind and seeing this more more odd subdued take on those designs wasn't really my cup of tea but it is undeniable that Steppenwolf and Zack Snyder's Justice League simply looks more complete. It's a better special effect. The armor is more interesting. You know, the motion of the armor is pretty darn cool. How it bristles and reacts to his emotions. Uh, that that was definitely a step in the right direction. Um, 
The character has also been fleshed out a little, showing now that he's sort of on a redemption tour, trying to get back into the good graces of his master dark side. That gives him just a little bit more motivation. That's you know about restoring his own standing. It gives him a little bit less of a you know the mustache twirling villain thing that he had going on in the theatrical cut. It's miles more interesting. Ultimately, Steppenwolf in the theatrical cut was extremely bland. This one has a little bit more personality and a little bit more motivation now is this the best comic book villain ever far from it clearly though it's a vast improvement over what came before still a bit bland but much much better so i would say steppenwolf overall much better in this version chris what do you think i i will wholeheartedly agree with you in terms of visual aesthetics it was not like the greatest uniform uh, it was all uniform like one color the spiky stuff was super cool and and the, the way that it shifted uh, but uh, but overall the costume the get up it, it was very all much muted the same color didn't really jump off the screen a whole lot but but as far as like motivation i thought it was super compelling i thought the dynamic between him and dark side you know serving the overlord this kind of middle manager type villain that we've seen in other forms of nerd media. I, I think, I think it serves it well uh, versus, you know, just, Oh, I'm in pursuit of power and something. It, it gives reasoning behind it. And I'm, I'm very much, you know, an uh, intuitive type person and I need like emotional resonance and reasoning behind things uh, to make it make sense for me, not just smash and boom and, you know, violence I, I i need something behind it and and this delivered on that for sure yeah absolutely i can totally agree with that now chris what is your second like of Zack snyder's justice league uh i thought that that uh the main cast had some very strong acting performances the ones in particular that struck me were gal gadot jason momoa i think i think despite our feelings on the visual direction and, and, and what message he wants to come across with Zack Snyder, the one thing that the man absolutely nails for, for most parts, I'll get into the ones that I disagree with wholeheartedly later, but for the most part, his casting is on point. Gal Gadot, Jason Momoa, like that whole direction makes like, Aquaman, this butt of the joke character, not just in DC comics, but the comics world at large into like one of the most compelling, one of the most interesting, one of the coolest characters in the DC extended universe. Um, I thought Ben Affleck was much better, like his performance here, whether it was cut or it was added scenes or whatever, I thought it was much, much better. I still, I still... I still really, really like him in the suit, out of the suit as Bruce. I thought it was better, but I'm still not a hundred percent there for him as Bruce. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of biased. I'm, it's hard for me to see anyone but Kevin Conroy as as Bruce Wayne and Batman, and and it's a complicated thing to be able to do both. But, but I thought it was a, a very, very strong performance from him. Ray Fisher was fantastic, and he was given more screen time. And, and if, if this man truly has sacrificed has to sacrifice his career just to stand up and to talk for talk about what is right and to call out racist and and toxic behavior on set y'all need to hire this man because he can act and if memory serves this is one of his first major acting jobs 
um, and, and he absolutely brought it. And I thought that that the cyborg storyline, and I think we'll get into this later, but it was very, very strong. And and he delivered. Um, there were some some parts that I thought were a little bit odd, but I think his performance was very, very good. And here is here's the one thing that really jumped out to me that I kind of went unnoticed with the Snyderverse before in previous films, just because the quality of the other films, in my opinion, was so poor. Jeremy Irons is a fantastic Alfred. He's fascinating. You're here. Yeah. Oh my God. Like I said this on Twitter, like that may be my favorite thing that Zack Snyder has contributed to the DC film universe. I absolutely, I'm biased because I love Jeremy Irons as an actor. I love him as Scar. I love him in the Borgias. I love him as an actor and Aragon, everything. I love Jeremy Irons. I think he is one of the most talented actors and underappreciated actors. And just the the different dynamic. Now that that's that's something you take right there as the same core things of 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 a character as Alfred. And you know, with us growing up as Batman the animated series and and Alfred is this dutiful, honor-bound, you know, butler and servant and very subservient to Bruce. And you still have that same core belief, and but it's it's just a little bit different. It's tweaked a little bit, but at the core, it's still the same. And I he brings so much to that role, and it's probably my favorite thing of this entire film universe. It's Jeremy Irons. So I, I'm I'm an I'm a big nerd when it comes to acting performances. I almost I almost switched my major to theater in in college, but I didn't because I wanted you know a consistent employment. So. Um, I, I love acting. I love theater. It's the first thing I look at, you know, much more, even in nerdy media, it's the first thing I look at. Can you act? It's it's the one thing that I'm very, very critical of. And, and this did not disappoint for, for the, for most of the main cast here. Yeah. You know what? I totally agree with that. Um, Zack Snyder's great strength is picking the right actors. Um, not necessarily always, you know, making sure that they have the best material to work with, but man, he, he really knows how to pick them. The acting was uniformly strong in this movie. Well, well, almost uniformly strong. And yes, I too actually have it in my notes here. You know, Jeremy Irons' take as Alfred is fire. It's so good. He hits all the right notes with that character. Uh, Godot is always fantastic as Wonder Woman. Momoa has redefined Aquaman for a generation, I believe. Uh, he owns that role. And yes, Affleck, who's probably not my favorite Batman, is still very, very good here. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about Ray Fisher in particular in a future point, but I can't fault the acting in this movie with very few exceptions. It is just top notch. The cast really brought it in this one. Yeah, for sure. And and what I, what I do appreciate, like it, it really seems like Zack Snyder really created, and we talked about this in the news segment, a work environment that was welcoming and that was pleasant and to where similar to what James Gunn did with the guardians and where they rallied around him and his firing, no matter your feelings about, you know, what should have happened in that situation. It, it, it bears in mind, like it makes me think of a similar you know situation where they really, really rallied around this director and and that they really wanted to to do well for him and that's that's inevitably what i feel here yeah yeah i think i can agree with that all right dave what is your second like for zack snyder's justice league as somebody who's been critical of snyder's take on superheroes let me just say this 
the man is a good director. Now, he overuses certain filmmaking methods sometimes, uh, but the man can frame a shot. His Justice League is a gorgeous movie. His sweeping landscape shots when Bruce is searching uh, you know, for Aquaman at the beginning of the movie are stunning. His shots of the Kent farm are a feast for the eyes. Anytime that he goes you know, to the Kent farm, which is not often, but man, when he does, it's beautiful. Make no mistake about it. When the shot is not 90% green screen, Snyder makes every moment on screen absolutely beautiful. The man is an incredibly talented director. It sometimes feels like he gets a little bored when it's just people talking. Those are usually the parts of the movie that are the least visually interesting. There are ways to kind of punch that up. And, and Snyder doesn't seem horribly interested in that. It feels like he lost interest in, in sort of the talky parts of the movie a little bit. Um, but, you know, let's be clear. Zack Snyder is a good director. His stuff looks great on screen. This really brings me to an interesting point. And I think this is really a foundational thing that, that you and I have in common, that that people who really, really dig Zack Snyder's work and, you know, were clamoring for the Snyder cut to happen. This, I, I think really think that this is the crux of that. Um, I, I've talked about, you know, psychology before. I'm a big nerd on personality types, uh, the MBTI what what is your personality type and the second like m- determining factor on that is you're either an n which is an intuitive or an s which is a sensor intuitives are all about the deeper meaning in life and deeper meaning in things they're looking for the emotional connection super deep like heady type intellectual type stuff philosophers like the central themes in something versus sensors. Sensors are all about the things in life that stimulate the five senses. And I really feel like, and that is one of the core values in life. So they want big explosions. They want sensory stimulating things. I think of like Michael Bay. They want like big explosions. They want like really dynamic fight scenes. And, and for me, as, as an intuitive type person, and I would surmise, if I were to make you take the personality test, that you are like me in that. Sensory type of stimulating things really just don't cut it for me. There are, you know, few exceptions to that. I love watching, you know, now Godzilla movies or like, you know, Bad Boys is a Michael Bay film that I enjoy. Ninja Turtles, we don't talk about. But <laughs> for as far as like the aesthetically pleasing boom smash crush testosterone or other hormones endorphins just juiced it's just not for me and 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 when you talk about like the the scenes that are talking and there's a lot of heavy discussion kind of falling flat i think that really just taps into the core difference between what you're looking for in a film what do you want to come out of a movie i think that's fair um yeah uh, there's a certain amount of depth that I ultimately want from my movies. The visuals are just a starting point. Uh, but I will, again, echo, you know, Zack Snyder's got the visual stuff down. He makes stuff look good. He's very, very talented. All right, Chris, so what is your uh, next and, I believe, final like of Zack Snyder's Justice League? I really dug the presence and the gravitas of Darkseid. It's it's inevitable you see where I'm going with there? <laughs> it's inevitable to to compare to, that you're going to compare him to to Thanos, but I, I really I really liked what they did with him. The uh, the voice actor I, I I'm 
blanking on the name, but the voice actor uh, that portrayed Darkseid uh, was had a very booming voice and it was commanding. Um, and, and it was just like, really, you felt that presence. Ray Porter, Ray Porter. Ray Porter did a fantastic job as the voice of Darkseid. Um, and, you know, like, I, I'm very much a noob when it comes to, to DC mythos and the DC universe. But but I know enough to know that Darkseid is like the biggest bad of them all. And, and I really think that they delivered on that. Whether or not the CGI landed all the time is neither here nor there. I, I think for me, uh, I was it was one of the few moments where I was looking at, does this deliver? On what was promised and and it was really cool seeing you know the one of the most important villains antagonists in the dc universe actually on the screen i guess for me and and just i think that they really brought it with that and and like i said it didn't always deliver quality graphic wise and i wish we would have had more but you know for god's sake we had a, a four-hour movie and uh, we'll get into that later, but I, I really dug what what uh, elements we saw of Darkseid. Yeah, you know what? I think you're right. Uh, including Darkseid was the right decision here. The theatrical cut, you know, only focusing on Steppenwolf and kind of removing Darkseid from the whole story. That was just a bad move. Uh, it lacked the gravitas that Darkseid brings to the table. And it really, it kind of robbed Steppenwolf of, of some of that context we were talking about earlier. You know, I love Jack Kirby's fourth world characters, and they've, you know, historically been very closely associated with with Superman, uh, particularly Jimmy Olsen as well. And I'm thrilled that Darkseid was here. I just wish the CGI would have been just a notch better in places. Darkseid didn't look quite as good as I'd hoped, not as bad as some of the stills suggested that were released, but still not great. You know, and yes, you're right. There is an inevitable comparison to Thanos. Uh, which is basically a dark side knockoff. Dark side came first. Um, but the nice thing about theatrical Thanos, MCU Thanos, is that it was a character that was filled with so much, well, character. He was extremely expressive. He felt real despite being CG. And I think a lot of that has to do with the, the motion capture technology used to bring him to life. Dark side deserved a similar treatment. Um, he just... It's the same thing as I was mentioning with Martian Manhunter, you know, the difference between something that's fully created in a computer versus something that seems to have a real person behind it. Um, it's just something was slightly lacking. But yeah, Darkseid was definitely a needed presence in the story. I was glad to see him. I was glad to see Desaad. I was glad to see Granny Goodness. I, I wish the designs would have hewed a little closer to Kirby's. But ultimately, it was definitely what this movie needed was, was more of those fourth world characters. And, and I'll say this as, uh, you know, as I previously said, I'm, I'm a noob when it comes to this. I didn't know who Desaad was going into this. Granny Goodness is a name that I just heard for the first time seconds ago when you said it but but i can um, they made it approachable and like and, and the fact that like as a casual dc consumer of content like it, it, it was the presence of like that whole get up it, it was pretty eminent and, and it made sense and like like we said it, it made uh steppenwolf's you know inspiration aspirations like make so much more sense um, and I think removing that from a theatrical cut because it wasn't ready or whatever, like it really was probably, probably the worst decision in, in the theatrical cut. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. 
All right, Dave, your final like before we get into the negative side. Uh, so this is actually what I think was the worst decision in the theatrical cut, and that was how much of Cyborg's story ended up on the cutting room floor. We need to talk about how much better some of the characters come across in Zack Snyder's Justice League. There's a lot more character work for Aquaman, hinting at you know what would be his eventual solo movie. Uh, Dr. Silas Stone has a ton more to do, and it really benefits the movie, uh, his expanded role. But the main beneficiary by far is Cyborg. Victor Stone was very clearly intended to be the heart and soul of this movie, and it shows. Much has been made of the fact that Snyder, you know, is is treating his take on superheroes like gods, not people. And so in the context of this movie, it is so refreshing to see how human Cyborg is. He goes through the clearest character arc in the movie. He grows, he changes the most, he holds the audience attention the most. He is so very, very clearly the audience point of view character here. And removing that from the theatrical cut was frankly a travesty. And I can totally see, beyond the accusations of racism and harassment during the reshoots, why Ray Fisher was so upset with the theatrical cut. Because the theatrical cut, in essence, destroyed his character's arc and his performance, which is, frankly, great. Cyborg is awesome in this movie, and Ray Fisher's performance was spot on. So you know what? Yay for Cyborg. The best part of Zack Snyder's Justice League by a country mile. Great character, interesting arc, well acted. I wish the rest of the characters would have gotten the cyborg treatment. But man, cyborg is definitely the shining star of this movie. Yeah, for sure. And like, I, I saw it, it's really, really upsetting. The more the that you really sit and look at it, the characters that were done the most disservice by the Joss Whedon theatrical cut. See, see if you see any commonalities. I saw a tweet this the other day and. It was Cyborg, it was Martian Manhunter, it was uh, Ryan Choi, uh, the Atom, and some other character. And they were all characters of color. Like, it was really bad. And you coupled that with with Ray Fisher coming forward and talking about the behavior on set and, and, and the racist accusations uh, from, from Joss Whedon. And it's just really, really problematic. But... At the end of the day, I'm so happy that if for no other reason we got to see Cyborg's story told, um, and it brought so much more context, it brought so much more meaning, and and that deeper intuitive emotion and symbolism and subtext that we were talking about earlier for us intuitives, like it, it brought the heart of that movie. Like I I joked in saying that Zack Snyder, we could we could name this movie. Zack Snyder's Justice League, a cyborg story. Like, this really is the story of Cyborg. Like, he is the central aspect that he's the glue, he is the heart of this movie. Like, and and being able to see this original vision, it really, really was uh, emotionally resonant for me. Yeah, absolutely. Best part of the movie by far for me was Cyborg's story. All right, Chris, here we go. It's going to get a little more awkward now because it's time for us to dig into our dislikes of Zack Snyder's Justice League. And you get to go first. What did you dislike about the movie? I really really dislike what they did with The Flash. Um, And it is impossible for me to separate. I know that we live in the quote-unquote cancel culture, but like the the, the footage that I saw months ago of, of Ezra Miller choking a woman 
uh, was really, really disturbing. And it, it is impossible for me to separate in my mind when viewing this film. So there are a lot of fans of this film of Ezra Miller that are lauding certain moments of the flash that I really just did not hit the same for me because my, my view on the character is now skewed irrevocably. Um, but even, even removed from that, it's, for me, I saw a better version of this on the CW. I saw a better version of the flash on the CW and, and I have my, my issues with the, the CW DC shows. They immediately try to kind of go back and regress to the emotional romantic drama. That is the CW. Um, Superman and Lois has been the one kind of shining star that I, I might be able to stomach without the, the goofy CW-ness of it. But even, even with my, you know, druthers about the CW DC universe, I think Grant Gustin is a far superior Barry Allen. And I, from even my limited DC comic knowledge, I think it, it is much much more on point for a Barry Allen versus a Wally West. And and I saw a lot on Twitter of, of this is Wally West with Barry Allen's name. This is Peter Parker with, with Barry Allen's name and the characterization of the flash. I think it was just a, a misfire. A, a lot of it. I thought the entire segment of him, quote unquote, saving Iris. Well, not quote unquote, but he did save Iris, but like the whole creepy kind of, touching her hair and the hot dogs. It was just really kind of creepy for me. So I, I did not enjoy the flash in this film. Yeah. You need to get out of my head, Chris. First of all, I think you're living up there rent free right now and I'm going to start charging. You know, there's, there's absolutely nothing about Ezra Miller's flash that I like. That's simply not Barry Allen. I thought it was Whedon's fault that Barry was reduced to this quippy off-brand Spider-Man role, but instead it turns out this one's squarely on the script and Ezra Miller's ad-libbing. That rescue of Iris West that you referenced is one of the creepiest scenes I've seen in a hot second. How he touches her face and hair while moving so fast that she cannot see him gave me the icky shudders. Most of all, though, it comes down to this. He looks like a weirdo when he's running, his quips are not funny, his suit is butt ugly, and he doesn't in any way resemble Barry Allen from the comics. So great F. <laughs> too, too, too direct there, Chris. All right, Dave. So I, I just on uh, Ezra Miller. What is your first dislike of the film? Do you have an hour? Because I have a lot to say now. <sighs> Everything I will say that I disliked in Zack Snyder's Justice League is secondary to this first point that I'm about to say. And that's that this movie failed Superman on every conceivable level. I've never made a secret out of the fact that Superman is my all-time favorite superhero. 
Chris, you always say that Spider-Man formed your moral code. And for me, that was Superman. He resonates with me on a deeply personal level. His, his fascination with truth and his pursuit of journalism, the fact that he's from a small town and he has small town values. All of these things resonate with me on a personal level. He may be my favorite character in all of fiction. So yeah, I take Superman just a notch personally. And Zack Snyder's Justice League fails miserably at having any sort of Superman moment. In a four-hour movie, he doesn't show up until the two-hour and 40-minute mark. He begins his entrance confused after his resurrection and beating up the rest of the League. Some might say this is a cool Superman moment. I will say, well, great, he's powerful, we knew that, but that's not the essence of Superman. The essence of Superman are his humanity and morality. Next, we have a sequence at the Kent farm with Lois and Martha, which I loved. This is the moment that comes closest to being a genuine moment. It works. It feels like Clark Kent. It was filmed beautifully. Then he goes off to find out why the other heroes needed him back. He has this, this lengthy imagining of Jor-El and Jonathan Kent speaking to him again because, you know, he can't live without Ghost Daddy puts on a black suit and flies off to help in the battle against Steppenwolf. To this I say, why did he put on a black suit? We don't know. Does anybody comment on the fact that he's suddenly wearing a black suit? No. He even ends the movie with a shirt-ripping scene that shows he's still wearing a black suit, without any context whatsoever. This should have been his epic comeback. Superman is back from the dead. He should have put on his traditional suit, plain and simple. Every time he has worn black in the comics, it was for a specific reason. Here, there was none. In fact, the whole thing looks like it was filmed with his normal suit and then color corrected to black in post-production to give certain fans what they wanted. In the context of the movie, the suit makes absolutely no sense, which was literally my biggest fear when I heard that they were going to put the black suit on Superman. Beyond that, though, is the problem that this movie strongly implies that bringing Superman back is the wrong thing to do, and everything will go to hell because of Superman. There's this implication that the Kryptonian spaceship can predict the future and knows that Superman coming back is ultimately going to lead to the, the planet's downfall. This movie takes Superman the paragon of hope and goodness, and throws that in the trash for a take on the character that screams injustice gods among us, in essence, where Superman goes bad. You know, Henry Cavill is a pitch-perfect casting for Superman. I sure wish Snyder would have let him actually be Superman just once. I mean, he smiles when he punches an impaled Steppenwolf toward Wonder Woman so she can decapitate him. That's I'm sorry, that's, that's not Superman. That's not the essence of the character. Superman came back from the dead in this movie, and he still managed to have no character arc. It is a failure of this film, plain and simple. And after three movies that Zack Snyder made featuring Superman, none of them featured a character that actually felt like Superman. I find that upsetting. Chris, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm I'm a recent convert thanks to you to, to the cult of Superman. And 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 this really struck me aside from like the, the one moment and I almost put this in my likes where 
it was really really cool where he said not impressed and he came in and and like beat the beat the crap out of of steppenwolf that was cool but it was all kind of grounded in the fact that he's wearing this ridiculous costume that that means nothing that doesn't look good and i'll preface this by saying like black is my favorite color i think black is sleek and cool and awesome but for superman it it has to carry something and and it, it carries nothing and i think i saw like in an interview that snyder said that it, it had special meaning because in krypton it was like the fashion of the time when he left krypton but if you have a four-hour film and you have to resolve resolve yourself to, to explaining that in a, in a post, you know, interview, like you should have you should have established that in the four hours that you had to tell that story. Um, in in addition, like it just doesn't look good. I, I I'm not a fan of the even the red and blue costume of the Snyderverse it just doesn't look good it's too dark it's too muted it's too depressing like i i i look at superman in the Snyderverse and it's just it makes me like call and refill my prescription on antidepressants like i need more citalopram in my life maybe we can up my prescription doc because the 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 paragon of hope and justice and and truth is not delivering right now. Yeah, and it's by far the most upsetting part of this movie to me. All right, Chris, what is your second dislike of Zack Snyder's Justice League? One more thought on on Superman, and I th- I thought I'd put this in the lightning round, but I think it's important that we visit this. The whole resurrection of Superman at the risk of you know the entire world and revealing the location of the the final mother box, it still feels really icky to me. It felt icky and gross in the first uh, theatrical cut. And then he, you know, breaks bad. And then, you know, to see it here again, you know, like I, I was hoping that like, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League four hour, maybe we're going to, the, the most uncomfortable part of the first Justice League, maybe we'll fix that. No, it was more of the same. It just feels gross. It feels wrong. And I totally side with Aquaman. Like this should not have been done this way. This is not the way to bring back Superman. Yeah, yeah, I can I can echo that. All right, Chris, let's get into your next dislike. What have you got? Um I I really enjoy Amy Adams as an actor. Um, but her arc in this entire universe is just lost on me. She really just comes across as this damsel not even in distress, but like she is completely just woebegone because Clark has died and she cannot do anything. She can't go to work. She can't accomplish anything. It takes a shape shifting Martian to get her out of bed in the morning. Like it's just really, uh, it's just really uncomfortable that in, in, in 2021, we still are doubling down on strong and independent female characters are completely and wholeheartedly dependent upon the men in their lives uh, and we saw this in Wonder Woman 84 with with Steve Trevor. And we're seeing it again here with, with Lois Lane and, uh, you know, Superman. And it's it, it, for me, it's sad as as a harsh critic of the CWDC universe. When Superman and Lois can show up and do a better job of Superman and Lois Lane 
and, and tell a better story than you had in four hours. Like, what are you doing? You completely misunderstood the character of Lois Lane. Give me a badass woman. Like, I know I talked about token reporters with April O'Neil, but Lois is a badass woman. And I have not read a whole lot of comics in the DC universe, but I know enough that she is a man eater and like, she is a force to be reckoned with. And, and to see Lois Lane represented like this on the screen, it was just disheartening. God, Lois is like the most passive interpretation of that character ever. I love Lois as a character because she's hard-nosed, spunky, fights for truth and justice in her own way, and always contributes something to the overall story. She's more than just Superman's girlfriend or wife. She's his equal, if not in powers, then certainly in every other way. And here she's reduced to this inactive, sad, moping character without any agency who lost her man and now doesn't have any drive to do anything anymore besides mope at his grave every day. You know, the thing is, I agree with you that Amy Adams is a really good actress. She's so capable and she's delivered so many great performances. The script here failed her. And I can't really say more. I just dislike this take on Lois Lane. I mean, like, she literally doesn't even talk. Like, there are whole scenes where there is no dialogue, and it is just her looking sad. Yep, to very odd music, too. <laughs> All right, that that's pretty on point for your second dislike, Dave. Yeah, we need to talk about the musical choices in this movie, because, you know, the general sort of regular score about Junkie XL is pretty darn good. Although there's nothing really that, that sticks out as like a big musical theme or moment that kind of like gets you pumped for the movie. But there's some very odd musical choices that also take place. Ah! That's one of them. You know, I'm gonna tell ah! I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through my my most disliked musical choices in this movie. And I I love, love movie soundtracks. So the entire village serenades Aquaman as he swims away and some random woman picks up his discarded sweater and sniffs it and then sings louder <laughs> because she was inspired by his man musk, I guess. <laughs> then there's the song that plays when Lois visits Superman's memorial the first time in the movie. The lyrics are so darn on the nose. They said our gods would never die or live forever. They lied or something like that. Ugh. I thought she was mourning the love of her life, not, you know, God. Then there's the, the Wonder Woman issue that you just referred to. Every time she pops up on screen, we get this yodeling lament from a female singer. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Chris, it's every time. Ancient, ancient lament. Ancient lament is what the subtitles told me. There is way too much lamenting in this movie. I mean, she just like walks across the room and the yodeling starts. It got <laughs> so repetitive and so odd. I started laughing every time it happened. It was so distracting from some really cool Wonder Woman moments. Then there's the song that plays during Barry's rescue of Iris West, which was also, you know, a misfire. That scene is super creepy to begin with, and the music only further enhanced that creepiness. I don't know if they were going for a romance there, but it just felt stalkerish. So, so yeah, you know, when the score was just a score, it was it was pretty good. But man, these odd choices kept knocking me out of the movie, Chris. Yeah, I mean. What what else can I say aside from ancient lamenting? Like, 
Literally, Diana makes breakfast. <laughs> you do that quite well, Chris. I think you have a future in like <laughs> well, Zack Snyder Justice League sequels. <laughs> well, to be fair, I, I I was subjected to four hours of ancient lamenting. I tell you, I tell you, there was some German lamenting after the fifth time that popped up on the screen. <laughs> some Dutch Dutch lamenting over here. <laughs> All right, Chris. What is your your final big dislike of the movie? Oh God, this. I, it's it's surprising that I put it as my third and final dislike, but maybe I was saving worse for last. Jer- I, and here I praised Zack Snyder's casting, but God, Jared Leto and Jesse Eisenberg are the worst casting choices I've ever seen in a superhero film ever. Like I I understand. Okay, so so let's preface this. A lot was made of of Tony Revolori in in the MCU Spider-Man being Flash Thompson and that that was not the stereotypical jock bully where he kicks and punches puny Peter Parker and Penis Parker is the joke of of the MCU Spider-Man. But you and I can attest to this. That is what jerks and bullies are like now in 2021 jerks and bullies in public schools are the rich kids who have never had any accountability that is accurate but jesse eisenberg as like this shrimpy nerd like i couldn't get my mind out of the social network and yes they shaved his head but and and they said sayonara they said sayonara to that poor you know uh shrew that that decorated his head in in batman versus superman and sure he's bald now but he is still the shrimpy nerd from the social network and that does not bring any gravitas like what i what i what i talked about i waxed poetic on dark side earlier he has that that real presence of a villain jesse eisenberg as lex Luthor does absolutely nothing for me absolutely nothing he does not seem to be this giant for god's sake just just cast jeff bezos like he is lex luther in real life just put <laughs> jeff bezos in amazon as as lex luther in the dceu and it's pitch perfect casting and then as far as leto's like so much was made about this like we're gonna do it right this time and it was so bad like i in that whole nightmare segment the, the all the epilogue was just a mess like We'll t- we'll get into the format of this whole project, but the whole epilogue was just a like a freaking mess. Like I, I'm trying not to use too much of the bleep button right now. It was just a mess, and and Leto was the worst part. His Joker laugh. Would someone hand that man an inhaler? Like this asthmatic is in the desert. It's arid. There's not a whole lot of moisture. <laughs> He's clearly having an asthma attack. Jared Leto needs an inhaler somebody refill his prescription surely there is a walgreens or a cvs open even in this nightmare world that you can refill this prescription because that was not a joker laugh man like this is uh, i guess we're spoiled coming as kids raised on the mark hamill joker and and we saw you know heath ledger you know really do it uh, oscar award-winning performance and then we're subjected to this so leto and eisenberg were absolute hot flaming garbage for me yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add to that, so I'm just going to say this. I dislike Leto's Joker with a red-hot glowing passion. Nothing in this movie changed my mind. Ditto for Eisenberg's Luther. That twitchy, high-pitched, whiny take on Lex Luthor really grinds my gears. 
Let's hope we can put these takes behind us. Enough said. That's it. I mean, like, I, 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 I think it's, we've said all that needs to be said. Dave, what is your final dislike for Zack Snyder's Justice League? You know, it feels to me, ultimately, that the reason that there are things about this movie that rub me the wrong way is that it feels like a superhero movie made by somebody who doesn't like superhero comic books. Superheroes, to me, have always been best when there's an inherent optimism to them. Good triumphs over evil, good men and women strive to do right, preserve life, and serve as role models. There's been plenty of stories where that's inverted, but those are, you know, alternate reality takes um, and or specific stories that are meant to do exactly that, invert that, that goodness. But when it comes right down to it, the essence of a good superhero story is good versus evil, good triumphs. There's an optimism there. And this movie doesn't feel like that. That's why it's hard for me to enjoy it. I love traditional superhero comics. It's They're what made me a nerd. And this movie feels like it was made by somebody who doesn't. There's excessive gore here. There's this faux epicness. Uh, heroes are gods and not characters. The lighting is overly dark. The costumes are muted rather than bright and colorful. Heroes drop F-bombs and murder people without a second thought. Much of this interpretation of superheroes feels like a reaction to and repudiation of the superhero comics I love so much. And for that alone, it's hard for me to like this movie unequivocally. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, why in the world would you want to subject yourself? Like, the the entire point for me, the, the whole reason that I rally to comic books and nerdy media is for escapism, for video games, for escapism, for for like a light at the end of the tunnel for, for something good. The, the real world is dark and depressing enough. Why do we want more of the same when we're the ones creating it? We have the, the artistic choice to choose. So why wouldn't we want something to give us hope to give us a reason to move on forward? I mean, like, like that's the whole reason that we flock to these things for escapism. I'm never going to be uh, a robed assassin in Renaissance Italy, but I play that because I like this whole like escapist mentality of assisting Leonardo da Vinci in, in taking down the Knights Templar in, in, in Assassin's Creed 2. Like it's, it's the whole reason that we read comic books, that we go see these movies is because the, we have a global pandemic that is killing millions of people and we want something good to make us feel better at the end of the day. So why would we want more depressing stuff? You know, I hear a lot of stuff um, on social media about Zack Snyder's, their preferred interpretation of superheroes because it's um, more realistic. It feels more real. It, it's trying to set these characters somehow in the real world and recontextualize them in reality. What would the world be like? How would people react actually if there was a Superman? It's supposed to be sort of the, the underlying theme of Man of Steel. And to that I say, I'm a nerd because reality is overrated. That's what it comes down to. I want the fantastical. I want to enjoy the fantasy, the empowerment, the optimism of my superhero content. I do not need 
a story about Superman in the real world because, well, odds are the real world would reject Superman because the real world has a tendency of rejecting good things, period. He would be a major controversy. There'd be talk on the left and the right politically in this country about what he means and what he stands for. People would argue about him. People would try to make money off of him. It would not be a good story from a storytelling perspective. It would be ugly and messy and and not very inspirational ultimately. And that's not what I want out of my superhero stories. Reality is most of the time and it's not very uplifting. I would like to be uplifted by Superman. I would like to be uplifted by my superhero comic books. All right, Chris, that brings us to our lightning round. Let's go ahead and go through some stuff quickly. Likes or dislikes, whatever. Let's just kind of hit some some other thoughts that we had. Yeah, so we we, we really just talked about this, but and, and I'm quoting the... I don't even know what the name of it is. This this film does not spark joy. So this this film uh, is four hours, and we just talked about this. It doesn't make me feel better about the current state of things. But but so I, I needed a palate cleanser, uh, as I said on Twitter, and I tagged you in it. Like I, I went and watched Justice League and Justice League Unlimited just to make me feel better about the direction of of life for human beings. I agree with that. It does not spark joy. I wish it did. It does not. Uh, Dave, what is your first lightning round? Repetition, man. Everything happens in pairs in this movie, apparently. The loving sweep across the Mercedes-Benz logo happens twice. Aquaman rips off his shirt and jumps into the water twice. There are two major car crashes in the movie that have significance. It seems like there's way too much repetition. Um if you're going to have four hours of content, you know, everything should stand as a unique moment or it should be cut. Yeah, I'll, I'll get into this with my other lightning round points, but this felt like more than one movie. Absolutely. All right, Chris, what's your second point in the lightning round? Uh, apparently nobody cares about discretion and or secret identities. Like, this is Batman! Like, my God, man. Like, like keep that to yourself. Like, can we have a moment to just shh? Yeah, you know, there was a bunch of cops standing there and Lois is yelling, Clark, 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 the whole time after he comes back. And I'm like, well, that guy's never working at the Daily Planet again. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that that uh, the whole idea of secret identities went out of the window a long time ago in this particular movie. All right, Dave, lightning round, go. This movie's too disjointed. It's too long and it's too disjointed. Uh, too long for obvious reasons. There's a lot of fat that would need to be trimmed down. I could see this being a very comfortable three-hour cut and being significantly better for it. But there also seems to be connective tissue missing. These little title cards with chapters didn't really help the movie transition from point A to point B. I always felt like I was getting whiplash from one moment to the next. For a movie that moves this slow... I shouldn't get this disoriented. There was definitely a feeling of connective tissue missing. Yeah, for sure. And I'm going to get into this in my next lightning round point, but it, it really felt like um, it, it was, it, it felt like Snyder just put everything that he ever thought about putting in the DCEU and here it is. And I'm walking away. Yeah. Mic drop. All right, Chris, what's your next lightning round point? Uh, the format. It's at least two films. Um, I, I would have even preferred, like, they initially hinted at, like, an episodic release. Even if you all release it all at once and you binge it, just, like, different episodes. Even even the different segments would have just, form, format-wise, would have just, I, I think, been easier to digest. 
than uh, you know one four hour just gargantuan production that you know it, it just felt kind of like strange. Yeah, I can agree with that. The for the formatting of the whole movie, I, I think as a miniseries would have been much much better. All right, Dave, go. Yeah, the Dark Side flashback is basically Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, we're talking about Sauron and the One Ring here, and everybody gets together and defeats him, but then the artifact that he was going to use to maintain power is, like, you know, still around, and somebody misuses it, and blah, blah, blah. Like, this whole thing is basically Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, it's pretty clear. I'm not the only one who saw that, right? Yeah, and the kingdom of men doesn't know what the hell to do with a, a, an object of great power they just bury it in the dirt do yeah pretty much <laughs> all right chris what's your next point uh the visual issues the cgi and the lighting it's so dark like we got to clean that up and i know that it's just like a matter of taste but and, and it's it's exact thing but for me it's just uh somebody cut the light on please yeah, I mean, even in scenes where it should be, you know, very bright outdoors during a sunrise and, you know, on the Kent farm, it seems very subdued. I can agree with that. All right, you're going to your mama for the next one. You better believe that because you know what? I hate how they display mother boxes in this particular movie because mother boxes are so much more in the fourth world comic books. These are not, you know, blunt instruments of change or tools or even weapons of mass destruction. They're sentient computers. And they have a mind of their own. And that was completely, I think, lost uh, in this uh, particular movie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you even get more context on the mother boxes and in the Injustice video game. So it, it was pretty strange to see kind of like this just standard MacGuffin here. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, next point in the lightning round. Uh, it was really troubling to me why Dr. Stone was just like, okay, my wife's dead, but I can save my son. Like, I, I needed like an extra 20 seconds to explain that his wife was was beyond saving and, and there was a reason that they could save Cyborg, but why he was just okay with his wife being dead. Like that was a little bit disturbing. Yeah, you know, I can agree with that. That that was an odd moment. All right, Dave. Now, your next lightning round point was my number one issue with the entire thing. But I didn't want to step on your toes, so I'm giving you this moment. Okay, uh, the slow-mo is ridiculous. Like, you could probably eliminate at least an hour of runtime if you got rid of the slow motion. I mean, everything got slow motion. They they ran a football game in slow motion. Amazon swinging hammers were in slow motion. I think the moment that really got me is Wonder Woman whips her hair around in slow motion. Like, everything got slowed down. It was to the point... Of distraction, And as I said earlier, Zack Snyder is a very good director. He has a great eye for framing a shot, but there are certain things he overuses and slow-mo is one of those things. Yeah. Like I said, this is, this is, was by far and away by a country mile, by a city mile, by a, whatever mile your unit of measurement was the most frustrating thing. I almost threw my phone watching this. So uh, it, it is incredibly frustrating. Like I, I even joked on Twitter that the, if you eliminate the slow-mo, Zack Snyder's Justice League is two and a half hours. Yeah, that, that seems about right. All right, Chris, next point in the lightning round. Uh, I think this is it for me. Um, 
just as maybe this is my teacher bias um and i'm all about you know social justice and and helping friends in need and and kids in in difficult predicaments but but changing the grades from for cyborg uh, of his friend you know not not giving her extra help or something but just actually going and changing her grades was a little bit odd to me yep didn't like that moment much either all right dave last lightning round point yeah, the Green Lantern cameo at the beginning uh, in that, well, in that flashback sequence, the beginning, meaning sometime in the first two hours. Um, you have the most powerful weapon in the universe on your hand that can literally create anything, a boxing glove, a giant hammer, fists in the sky. And what you do, you just shoot some green beams. That seemed like a huge missed opportunity there to actually show off some decent CGI. I think it's fairly easy to make a giant fist out of green energy. Um but for some reason, this Green Lantern just goes pew pew with his energy ring. I don't know. That seemed seemed like a missed opportunity. Yeah, there were subsequent news reports that uh, Snyder had even shot um, like extensive uh, inclusion of of Green Lantern, and and the the studio really balked at that, even to the point where reportedly they were not going to make this movie happen if they didn't cut that. So maybe maybe that was them, but. But I, I was initially super excited to see a Green Lantern, but then like that was very, very underwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Chris, here we are. Final thoughts on the movie. Got any? Yeah, I, I, I tweeted this immediately after watching it. I Overall, I'm glad that this happened, um, despite, you know, the rancid behavior by, by some Snyder supporters. Um, I, like I said, I was glad to see Snyder make his his stance against geeks and gamers and and he does not support hate in any form or fashion. Um, and I'm glad to have watched this and I, I would give it to a C to a C plus. Yeah, so my final thoughts on the movie echo yours, I think, in a lot of ways. I, I too am glad that it happened. I'm glad that Zack Snyder got to complete his vision. I um, I'm glad I watched it, even though uh, there was much of it that I didn't enjoy. I would probably give it a C, C minus overall. I think my opinion is colored very strongly by my uh, adoration and love for the character of Superman and how I feel he was shortchanged in this movie. Um, I also think the movie would have been significantly stronger without the epilogue. The entire nightmare scene there at the end, I think, soured me on the movie. Um, I think they had a great moment to end it that would have left it at an uplifting point. Um, and then the nightmare sequence kind of soured me on the whole movie again. I think I would have probably came away from it with a uh, a better feeling overall if it would have ended on a better note than an extended sequence of Superman is going to, you know, destroy the world with Darkseid. So yeah, a, a C, C- is probably where I stand. But again... Uh, Zack Snyder's one heck of a director. I can't wait to see what he does next. I think there's a zombie movie getting ready to come out on Netflix that he directed. Oh, I'm, I'm so psyched for that. Very so interested that. in that. And I'm also really enthusiastic to see now maybe a new take uh, on Superman uh, and maybe one day a new take on, on Justice League that maybe hues in a, in a more bright, more colorful, and more comics-accurate direction. Um, this This was ultimately not for me. Uh, but I'm certainly glad for the people who enjoyed it that they got a chance to watch it. Yeah, and and it's no secret that you're much tougher grader than I am. You know, even in our professional lives as teachers, anyway. So that that's no surprise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up our in-depth review of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Coming up next after our final break, we have some nerd commendations. Stick around. Yeah. 
And we're back for the final segment of the Nerd Byword Podcast, Nerd Commendations, where we introduce you to some nerdy media you should be checking out. Chris, what are you bringing to us this week? So, Dave, I really just wanted to... I initially wanted to title this segment, Go Buy a Nintendo Switch. Like, just go get a Switch. Like, I've been posturing on it for, for quite some time. Uh, I talked to you extensively about it and, and, and uh, you know, all, all of the details around it. And I'm so glad that I did. And I'm having the best time. The last week, week and a half have been an absolute blast playing Nintendo Switch simultaneously while having an Xbox. But like it's not a musically, mutually exclusive type thing. Having a Nintendo Switch has been an absolute blast. It's been such a fun return to gaming like number one the best thing about a switch is i get a new game and i can play it almost immediately like it has to download an update for like two minutes tops and one of the games that i'm officially nerd commending this week is super smash brothers ultimate i mean it it, of course it's one of the most popular titles for any nintendo console but i've always loved super smash brothers going back to the original one on N64. I never actually had an N64, believe it or not. I always just played it at the YMCA after school program in middle school. I would like be the first one to sign up to get a turn. For, I can't recall like why I never got an N64, but I never did. And and just the whole concept of Smash Brothers has always been fun to me. Taking all these characters from all these different franchises that you love and just putting them all in this big free for all has just been so exciting and so fun. The whole format is fun. What I really appreciate about this version on the Switch is is like the different game modes that they introduced this time. Um, now I did not play the Wii U version, so I'm not I, I, I can't comment on that. But particularly the adventure uh, mode on on uh, the, the Switch version Ultimate is really really cool. I, I was first really really upset when I I bought the game brand new and only had a limited amount of characters. I was like, what is going on? But then I you know, quick Google search. I was like, you can lo- unlock them different ways. And one of them was this like adventure mode, which is like this solo campaign epic where like this dark force or force of light or something to that, the, the force of light, those, those big creepy gloved hands have, have trapped all the spirits of all these fighters and you have to go rescue them. And it's like this real big epic, like of Gilgamesh type adventure. And it's really, really fun. So I'm having a great time playing Super Smash Brothers Ultimate on the Switch and a lot of other games. So yes, just go get a Nintendo Switch. If you can find one in stock, a lot of people are giving their stimulus and everybody's out of stock. But if you could find a Nintendo Switch, you don't have one yet, get one. If you have one, get another one because they're so much fun. Yeah, I will echo this. My Switch is probably my second most played console uh, right after my uh, my Xbox. Um, it's a great system. But I, w- I do have a confession to make. I've never been the most Smash Brothers playing kind of guy. I understand the appeal, uh, but I think there's something about getting a group of friends together to play the game that the single player simply cannot capture. And, you know... <clears throat> That's not something that uh, that happened too often. I didn't have that many people who shared my general nerdiness growing up uh, in the near vicinity to have like big, you know, Smash Brothers parties. I will say that I've dabbled in this game and it's very good. Probably the best since the GameCube version. Uh, the ridiculously large roster is fantastic. The controls are great. The graphics shine and well, 
as you mentioned, it's on Switch, and that just adds the portability factor, and really the Switch is just a fantastic console. So although this is not my favorite game on Switch, it's pretty darn good, and I can totally echo your recommendation. Yeah, for sure. And and, and like I said, um, now, it's, it's the one positive to leading a large family, I can just tell my kids, come play Smash Brothers with me. So that's the, that's the great thing about having a, a large family. I can just co-opt them into playing video games. <laughs> that's one way to have, one reason to have a lot of kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave. Um, you really surprised me with your nerd commendation this week, but I'm super, super excited. And it was a definite uptick in a palate cleanser after the Snyder Cut. Oh, absolutely. Boy, WandaVision was unconventional, huh? Well, here's my nerd commendation for this week, Falcon and Winter Soldier Episode 1. This one feels a little bit more like conventional Marvel fare, a big action set piece, some Winter Soldier-style intrigue, a couple of quibs, and, uh, of course, very interesting character work. Considering how long it's been since we've had quote-unquote conventional Marvel fare, uh, this actually feels like a breath of fresh air. I miss seeing a little bit of the Marvel formula occasionally, and this one seems to, at least so far, be here to, you know, fill that gap. The story here is pretty simple so far. Falcon was given Captain America's shield by Steve Rogers, but he's struggling with the notion of taking on the role and becoming a symbol. Uh, Bucky Barnes is struggling in his own way, trying to overcome the trauma and guilt of being a brainwashed assassin for decades. The story here right now is mostly set up, but the character work is top-notch. We get to see uh, Sam and his family, uh, the financial struggles involved, Bucky's in some therapy. The two never really connect in the first episode, but the groundwork has been laid for something that could be deeply special in the vein of some of the best Captain America stories. The performances are really strong in this one. The writing is strong. The characters are uh, clearly going through stuff and there's going to be growth and development i'm excited to see where this is going chris yeah for sure um it, i will admit that in light of the recent event that that we referenced in our opening news segment it was very very difficult to get through and experience one particular segment um made it, made it really uncomfortable that is absolutely of of no part on on marvel studios it's just you know that that's that's the beat of, of where we are in the world. But um, I, I thought it was a really, really fun show. I, I really think the cast is super strong. The actress that portrays um, Sam's sister is, is incredible and just really portrays um, like the struggle of, of what it, you know, is to, to carry on like this family legacy of, of the boat and this business but to to have to also couple that with the reality of of you know the finances and and being uh you know a parent in a in a struggling economy um you know i think i think anthony mackie and sebastian stan are just top notch you know in, in this program and i i really am enjoying this extended storytelling um opportunity that is afforded by a disney plus series like it was with wandavision this this like thought out like extensive thing where you have time to speculate now uh, if if i understand correctly i think falcon and winter soldier is only six episodes as opposed to the nine of wandavision so it, it'll be much more abrupt but i i really hope that the, the one thing that i came away with i really hope that they do a good job handling the racial tension um that that was kind of hinted at with the first episode um I don't want to give away any spoilers, but I really hope that they stick the landing and I, and I think that they will, 
Um, but, but I'm really excited and intrigued to see where they go forward with this. Yeah, absolutely. I can echo that. There's, there's foundation here for something that could be really special. All right, that's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoy our podcast, please give us a rating or review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're available everywhere podcasts can be found, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And of course, our very own website, nerdbyword.com. You can also find us on Twitter at nerdbyword uh, or individually at that nerd Chris and at that nerd Dave. Same handles for Instagram. We'd love to hear from you on social media. And thanks as always for all of your support. We we just love doing this thing, and we love that that you that you dig it. And if you have any ideas, please sure to please be sure to reach out to us. Uh, link up with us Saturday nights. Hashtag Drunk Pete, 10 p.m. Eastern, live tweet a comic with a bunch of nerds. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez and show art by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. <laughs>